Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Thursday Connect with Pastor Jennifer Pasquale. On behalf of the International Christian Fellowship of Rome and the Women of Worth, and um, from my heart to yours, from God's heart to all of us, it is Thursday morning or Thursday noon here in Italy, and we are on our next to the last chapter of our book, Be Comforted. It is Thursday Connect. So this is our book, and we're almost done. Hi, Bettina. I'm glad to see you. Good morning, Boriana. Thanks for joining us. Yay. It's March. I see your little green clover. It's spring. And uh, Bettina, I don't know about you guys, but in Italy, we have Daylight savings time change on Saturday and Sunday. Do you have that in Copenhagen? Does all of Europe have that? Because America already had it. So we're like a, a week behind or two weeks behind. So tell me who you are and where you're watching from. Hi, Barb. Good morning. Hi, it's the three Bs. Boriana, Bettina, Barbara. That's awesome. And we are studying Be Comforted. So... Um, we're going to be changing our time zone on Saturday. So, Barb, I know this might have messed you up a little bit, too. I don't know if it's... What time is it, Barb Gergenti? What time is it where you are? Um, it is 12.01 here in Rome. So, uh, but we're going to lose an hour on this Saturday and go back to spring daylight savings time. Yes, Boriana does it, or Bettina does it too. Okay, so it's seven. Okay, so actually it was kind of nice for you right now, only five hours instead of six, but next week we'll be back on. So thanks for figuring it out. We had a couple people who missed us on Wednesday because of the time change. So I just want to praise God for um, how much I have enjoyed this book, Be Comforted by Warren Wearsby. It's really an amazing um, study on the book of Isaiah. It's been so relevant to where we are in our world. Um, he talks about discovering the true source of our strength. And as I was reading this morning, getting started, um, I also want you to type in a praise. If we were sitting around that table, I've got my cup of hot tea today. I've already had a cappuccino earlier. Um, if we were sitting around the table, I would ask you for a prayer and a praise. So we're going to start with the praise and we'll end with the prayer later. But what is something that you are praising God for today? What is something you are praising God for today? I'm praising God that Pastor Rick is home from um, being with his mom for a few weeks and helping her. And uh, I'm praising God that the Lord watched over him and protected him. Praise. Type in a praise, not a price. <laughs> Boriana. A praise. Type in something you're praising God for. Amen. What are you praising God for? Let me see your praise reports. That's always encouraging. Amen. Spring is in the air. I know. I love it. The sun is shining. The green parrots, they're very vibrant green here in Rome. And they come to the trees just outside uh, my house. And they, they really are beautiful. It's like you're living in the tropics for a little bit. 
So um, I do want to share something with you as we get started on this second to the last chapter. So next Thursday will be our last um, Thursday Connect Online for just a couple weeks. We'll take a little break and we'll have uh, some videos that we'll show over the next couple weeks to keep everybody connected. But um, then we'll be starting a new book and uh, it's going to be wonderful. It's called Trustworthy and um, I, it's by Lisa Turquist. So um, if you want to be looking that book up, that'd be wonderful. Uh, I'm looking for those things that you're praising God for this morning. As I was reading and studying in another book I have, it was talking about how as Christians, we can live differently than the world. And that's really what Isaiah is reminding us all through the book, the prophecies, the predictions, the promises, the fulfillment of what God wants to do in our life. But you can choose two things. You can choose to either live natural in a natural mindset, or you can choose to live in a supernatural mindset. Okay, so I want you to type that in. You can live in the natural mindset, or you can live in the supernatural mindset. Now, the natural mindset obviously comes naturally. And so it's just kind of what comes to your mind on a regular basis. And um, I wouldn't say every thought is, you know, from from God or the enemy. Some things are just a natural effect of living in this planet. But I will tell you that the enemy uses our natural mindset to keep us out of the supernatural. And so um, I want you to understand something. When we live in a natural state, we focus on the worries the cares, the sorrows, the betrayals, the disappointments of life. When we live in a supernatural mindset, we focus on the great and precious promises of God. That's powerful. That's what makes it different for us as people of faith, that no matter what's happening around us in the natural, when we live our life with a supernatural state of mind, we always are looking forward to the promises and the prophecies that will be fulfilled that we're going to study about in Isaiah. When we live in a natural state, sometimes we can get sick and frustrated just by the natural things around us. But the Bible says when we live in a supernatural state, we think about what is good and lovely and of good report, even while we do our daily task. We have a mindset focused on Jesus. We have a mindset focused on God the Father. Um, when we live in a natural state, we often declare the stress that has happened or that is happening or that will happen when you live in that natural mindset. But when you live in a supernatural mindset, you declare praise. That's why I said, what is something that you're praising God for? We declare gratitude. We think about the good plans that God has for us. Um, even think about this. When you live in a natural state of mind, we either vent or suppress our feelings in very negative ways. But when we live in a supernatural mindset, we release our emotions in gentle and loving ways to the Lord, knowing, hi, Shanta, good morning, knowing that he's going to be with us and wanting to please literally the lover of our soul every minute of every day. 
So I want to encourage you as we're studying the second to the last chapter, chapter 12 on page 167 of our book, Be Comforted, that today that you ask the Lord, help me, God, not to live in that natural state of mind. Amen, Cherry. We're praising God for your healing. I want you to live today saying, God, I'm going to live in a supernatural mindset, not surrounded by all the circumstances and stress around me, but actually focusing on what is true and good in the heavenlies, what is true and real in the promises of God, my Father. So I think that is really, really awesome. So as we look at chapter 12, and I'm going to have to really fly because it's a long chapter, but I really have a goal to get done in these last two weeks, these last two chapters. It says, the servant obediently finished his work on earth, and today, in the natural, and today he is at work in heaven, interceding for God's people. That's the supernatural. And in a minute, I'm going to look up Romans 8.34. But I want you to hear this. What difference does it make? We're coming up on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, the Sunday before the Friday that really didn't seem like a very good Friday when Jesus went to the cross. So what are the consequences of God's sacrifice? What difference does it make that he endured all of that suffering? Well, in Isaiah, as we see in this book here, to Israel, it meant restoration. To the Gentiles, it would mean invitation. And to rebellious sinners, it meant that there would be an accusation and a warning from the Lord if they did not repent. So the title of this chapter is called Promises and Punishments. And I want you to remember that, yes, we all like to talk about the good, but as we have been talking this month about being ready for the trumpet, I'm telling you, I told Pastor Rick last Sunday after preaching two messages on being ready for the trumpet, the promises of heaven, the promises of the supernatural. But when I got done, I felt like I had literally been in a war for people almost going to hell, like I had been standing in the gap between heaven and hell, breaking that barrier so that they could get to heaven and holding the barrier so that hell would not grab their lives. It was such an intense spiritual feeling I had last Sunday. And so today, as we look at chapter 12, we want to look at the promises and the punishments if we don't follow God, because when we live in the supernatural, we can believe everything that the Bible says. So the first thing is that it is restoration for Israel. In Isaiah chapter 59, I want you to look at, starting with verse 19 for just a moment. Isaiah 59, starting with verse 19. It says, from the west... Men will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. He will come. That's the Messiah. We're ready for that trumpet to sound. And verse 20, the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, to bring restoration for Israel, who repent of their sins declares the Lord. And verse 21 in chapter 59 says, as for me, 
This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words I have put in your mouth will not depart from you, from your mouth or from the mouth of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. And if you go on over to chapter 60, verse one, it says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon us. So when we look that God is coming and he said, I'm going to put those things that I put in your mouth to declare those things in the supernatural, those promises of heaven and the redeemer and the Messiah coming, that it's only not only for your mouth, the mouth of your children and of their descendants and forever and ever. So I want you to think about what are the words that you're declaring? Are you dwelling in the natural or are you dwelling in the supernatural? It says on page 167 at the bottom, the nation was married to Jehovah at Mount Sinai, the nation of Israel, because Isaiah uses a lot of imagery and word pictures. And so we see that Jehovah is like a faithful husband forgiving Israel, the unfaithful wife, and restoring her to the place of blessing. And you can see that if you have the book in chapter 50 and chapter 62, the nation was married. However, the prophets promise that Israel will be restored when the Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom. Let me just pause for a minute. Can you think about a reason why people don't like it, that Israel is, is something that we, um, we declare that we need to be in alliance with Israel and we need to be protective of Israel when the word of God itself says there is something that's going to happen when the Messiah returns and he's coming for the Israel nation, for the Gentile nation, for those who were sinners. He's coming for all of us, but he is going to declare something. And so what kind of restoration do we see? It is a restoration of joy. We're over on page 168 now. It's a res res restoration of joy. And therefore, it's an occasion for singing, Isaiah 54.1. Isaiah is a prophet of song. And the immediate occasion for this joy is the nation's deliverance from captivity. That's something when we get out of lockdown, <laughs> when we get out of captivity, when we get to go outside, like in a car on a little road day trip, Monday, fun day, truly outside of Rome, I'm going to be so happy. But I want you to know there is something more than just getting set free from the captivity of the current age. There is something to be said about the joy that will come when the ultimate fulfillment is that the Redeemer comes to Zion and to the nation and we are born anew. That is the supernatural promise and purpose of Jesus our Messiah, the one that we will celebrate on Resurrection Day. So joy is something that is restored. The second thing that is restored in these promises in Isaiah is that there will be a restoration to fruitfulness, fruitfulness, when the nation will increase and need more space. The nation had been diminished because of this Babylonian invasion, but God would multiply them again. And at the end of the age, only a believing remnant will enter the kingdom, but the Lord will enlarge the nation abundantly. 
Israel may feel like a barren woman, unable to have children, but she will increase to the glory of God. God will do for Israel what he did for Sarah and Abraham. The tents will need to be enlarged and the desolate cities will be inhabited again. Can I remind you that this book was written in 1994? Is this not relevant to us? Those desolate cities that have been locked down and stores have their shutters down and the restaurants are closed. God is saying, I have a restoration to fruitfulness that is coming again for all of us. Remember, the word of God is something that we can look at historically, what was happening, what was God declaring. It is something that we can look at in um, a very practical sense, what is God saying to me for my life right now? And it is something that we can look at in a very prophetic sense. What is God saying in the supernatural for what we're going to do? So if you don't get excited about studying Isaiah and the Bible in this study, I don't know what will excite you because this is relevant and prevalent to our lives in the historical, in the practical, and in the prophetic. The next thing we see in this restoration is that Paul even quoted Isaiah in Galatians 4.27, and he applied the spiritual principle to the church. So this is a powerful thing. The third thing that we will see restoration, okay, so we've got a restoration of joy, we've got a restoration of fruitfulness, and at the bottom of page 168, we have a restoration to her land, which also means confidence. Isaiah gave another one of his fear not promises, and he lists all the verses there, and explained why there was no need. Everybody type in no need. There is no need to be afraid. There is no need to be afraid. If I look back in the historical, I see what God did, and I know that his word said he's no respecter of persons. If I look into my own life and I look back and I see what God has done for me, there's no need to be afraid. He's with me. He goes before me. He stands beside me. He will be my rear guard. And so we have this promise of restoration to our land that means confidence that our sins would be forgiven, that they could forget the shame of their sins. And this confidence would mean a steadfast love of the Lord. So I want you to look for just a minute at Romans 8.34. Romans 8.34. The author mentions it in the opening chapter when he talks about the servant. But I want you to look at what Romans 8.34 says. That whole little passage, 28 to 34, is about talking about being more than conquerors. Amen? We fear not. No need to be afraid. Hallelujah. Why can we apply what the Old Testament says in Isaiah to where we are in our New Testament? Hi, Mary Carey. Because it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Jump down to verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Remember, he's giving the Messiah forgiveness of sins. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, he was raised to life, and he's at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. Who should separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger 
or sword. Verse 37 in Romans 8 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It goes on to say, for I am convinced. There's that word confidence again. So here in, we, in Romans 8, we see that Paul is saying that Jesus is interceding to God for us in heaven. Let that sink in for a minute. You've been thinking you're praying all by yourself. You wish you had more prayer warriors by you. You have the resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ, standing at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you today, right now. For me, Mary, he's called, he's saying, God, we've got to do these things for Mary. She's been petitioning us. And Lord, she is our faithful servant. And we have got to let the Holy Spirit give her wisdom and discernment and prosperity and protection and grant those things that she needs today. That is Jesus being our advocate at the right hand of God the Father. That's amazing. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay on that cross. And because of that, we need to remember that it is Satan, not God, who accuses us. So in case you feel accused or shamed or unworthy, you remember that it says in Romans 8, he is standing at the right hand of God to take intercession for you. Amen? Amen? Wow, that's exciting. So let me ask you, so we can have some interaction. Why is this confidence, this restoration of confidence, so important that it's written about in the book of Isaiah? Why is this reason for confidence? It shows the steadfast love of the Lord. Why do you think it's important to have a restoration of confidence? Maybe you can raise a hand. Maybe you can say yes. Have you ever lost your confidence? Have you ever lost your confidence? I have. I wasn't very confident as a young girl. I felt insecure. I didn't feel important or valuable or worthy. I have felt strong in the Lord. But even as a grown-up, even as a woman in ministry, as an ordained minister, there have been moments when I have needed my confidence to be restored. Thank you, Barb. Amen. There have been moments when difficult things happened and things did not work out like I thought they would. And I needed my confidence in God to be restored. You say, wow, Jen, that's uh, honest. I believe in being honest. There are things that try to steal our confidence, but we must remember, like the writer said of Romans 8, it is the enemy of our soul who tries to steal, kill, and destroy us. And it is our confidence that needs to be restored and encouraged. Because when we have confidence in the Lord, when the children of Israel would have their confidence restored, they would return to their first love. They would stop worshiping idols and money and the riches of mankind. And they would remember that only God can meet the, the need. Only God can satisfy. That's why I must keep a supernatural perspective. Let's go on. On page 169, a third reason for the confidence in God is the dependable promise of God. God had to show his anger at their sin and then he showed that the chastisement would be over and they could return to their land. And it says, 
that with great mercies I will gather thee. With everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you. That is the promise of God, that dependable promise of God. We see that in Isaiah 54, 7 through 10. Why do we need to have confidence in God? Why? Because we must know that his word is true. That if he promises, remember the title, Promises and Punishments? I must have a supernatural mindset because if I don't, I could end up in hell. But if I know that heaven is real and I know that God is real and I know that the Messiah is real and the Redeemer is real and the Holy Spirit is real and the Word of God is real, then I will live my life thinking on those things that give me hope and brightness and a future and I will be a witness to those around me. I can depend on the promise of God to be with me in all circumstances. He does discipline those he loves, it says in Hebrews chapter 12. And he chastens us to bring us to repentance so that we can produce the fruit of righteousness. Remember I said that he would bring restoration of fruitfulness. But that can only come in our life if we also ask him to forgive us of the things that aren't, you know, did you ever have a, a, a big batch of fruit? or a big fresh batch of tomatoes or grapes or plums or something, little tangerines in the bowl and you're so excited to eat them, but there's one that has spoiled and it's yucky and mushy. And that spoiled one, that spoiled stuff gets on some more of the fruit. And then you end up having to throw out much of it, sometimes all of it. God is saying, I want you to repent. I want you to get rid of what spoils so that I can restore fruitfulness to your life. If anxiety and depression and frustration is spoiling your day, get rid of it today. Think on the supernatural so that God can restore fruitfulness, fruitfulness of joy, fruitfulness of blessing, fruitfulness of vitality back to your life today. So we can depend on his love, on his promise, and on his mercy. We can depend on his love, his promise, and his mercy. Now, I want you to look over on page 170. I know I'm flying. It says at the beginning that for that beautiful city, we must wait till the return of the Lord and the establishing of his kingdom. Then every citizen of Jerusalem will know the Lord, Isaiah 54, 13, and the city will be free from terror, Isaiah 54, 14. Jesus even quoted the first part of this in of verse 13 from Isaiah 54 in John 6, 45. When you read the context, you see that Jesus was speaking about people coming to the Father. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. It doesn't mean that the Father forces sinners to come. People come to him because they're taught the word of God and the spirit draws them. Can I say that again? People come because they're taught and the Holy Spirit draws them. Personal evangelism won't be needed in heaven, in that new Jerusalem. The citizens of heaven will know the Lord. We will be drawn to worship him. 
So the next thing we see in this closing chapter of, or of the second to the last promises and punishments is there's an invitation to the Gentiles. In Isaiah 55 to 56, the servant did not only, only the servant with a capital S did not only die for the sins of Israel, but he died for the sins of the whole world. And we see that in John 1 and 1 John 4. Isaiah makes it clear throughout the book that the Gentiles are included in God's plan. So in case you think that somebody else is God's favorite, I want you to type in the chat, I am included. Someone's watching. Someone will watch this and they need to be reminded, I am included in the promises of God. Isaiah writes about Israel and what God would do as a witness to the world that depending on God is the only way. I mean, we can depend on oil, we can depend on gold and riches, but depending on God is what is going to be happening when we gather together around the throne, amen? When we see that not only was some of the Bible true, all of the Bible is true, and I get to stand at the throne and bow my face before the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I want you to type in the chat, I am included. I am included in the promises of God. I am included. You are included. There are, um, you know, yes, there are favorites when God talks about certain things, but there's no exemption to any one of us. That's what Jesus came to do, to break all those barriers. So how do we know this? Well, it says everybody should come in Isaiah 55, 1 through 5. Isaiah 55, 1 through 5. Remember I said, for your children, for you, for your children, and for their offsprings. In 53, verse 10, it says, it was the Lord's will who would crush him, talking about the Messiah, cause him to suffer. Um, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offsprings, that's you and me, prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. I'm included. Hi, Salome. Hi, Shanta. Isaiah 55, 2 and 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy. Come buy wine and milk. Why spend money on what is not bread? Give ear and come to me, he says. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love, I've made a witness to the people. Surely you will summon nations you don't even know about. And nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God. Come. This is an invitation to those of us who are thirsty. Come. Come to the Lord. If you've been looking at, the li at life in a natural mindset today, the Holy Spirit is saying, Mary, come and sit at my feet. Salome, come and sit at my feet. Cherry, come and sit at my feet and know that I am your Lord. I am your God. And I'm standing right here beside my father saying, we're going to take care of this one today. We're going to take care of her. Amen. We have a promise of restoration. In Isaiah 55, he says that God will use Israel to call the Gentiles to the nations, to salvation, which was certainly true 
in the early church in Acts chapter 10. And it will be true during the kingdom. Jerusalem will be the center for worship in the world. And God will be glorified as the nations meet together in faith to honor the Lord. This is a prophetic prophecy of end times. It's powerful. It's complex. Um, We have lots of, well, why this and why that? And how will that happen? And what about this? Some things we are supposed to trust God for in the supernatural. I'm not God. I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I trust his word because his word is true. So what is the invitation? He says to seek him. He says to come. First he says, just come. And then he says in 55, 6 through 13, seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek him. It is my word that goes out from my my mouth, he says. It will not return empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. You will go out in joy and led forth in peace. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Wow, that's amazing. That's powerful. When we seek the Lord, he delivers us and he uses like he uses Jerusalem, he uses Israel for the Gentiles. He wants to use us as believers for the non-believers. So what is included? I'm on page 172. In seeking the Lord, we have to admit that we're sin, that we've sinned, that we've offended God. We have to repent, it says in Isaiah 55, 7. And then we have to change our mind and turn away from the sin. If I live in the natural, I justify natural decisions. When I live in the supernatural, I am propelled to make my life decisions based on seeking the Lord and walking in holy integrity every day. Acts 20, 21. No one should delay in doing this. The phrase, while he may be found, that we read, suggests that he may not give us that invitation seriously forever. In fact, in the parable of the Great Supper, God closed the door on those who spurned his invitation in Luke chapter 14. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. So it's not a mark of wisdom. This is what our Bible, this is what our book says. It's not a mark of wisdom to try and second guess God and figure out his ways. It's a mark of natural, human, self-centered thinking. It is a mark of wisdom to say, I trust in the Lord my God, who has written to me that the Messiah has come, is coming, and will come again. Amen? He thinks and acts. He doesn't think and act like we do. We are made after his image. He is not made after our image. I'll say that again. We are made after his image. God is not made after our image. Thank the Lord. So how does he go about calling and saving lost sinners? Well, let me tell you, it's by the power of his word. You give somebody Romans chapter 8 to read. You give them Psalm 91. You give them John 3.16. Tell them just to read the book of John. And you begin to see how the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God will draw the sinner to repentance. The word of God is the seed. It says in Luke 8, 11. It says in Isaiah 48, 
The word of our God shall stand forever. Yes, Brianna, it is a mark of wisdom. Yes, 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 Mary. We're invited to come and drink from the springs of living water. Yes, hallelujah. These are great comments. Thank you for participating with me. I love it. The word of God stands forever. Isaiah describes both the joy of the exiles on the release from captivity and the joy of Israel when they share in that glorious exodus. Can you imagine? One day we're going to go when the trumpet blows and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the air. And we're going to get to celebrate together that we made it that we're in the presence of God forever. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more depression, no more loneliness. We are with God. But you know what? If I live and dwell in the supernatural, even now, I can have victory over loneliness. I can have victory over worry. I can have victory over fear because the peace of God stands that the word of God stands forever in every circumstance. And how important is the word? The second thing we see is worship. In Isaiah 56, 1 through 8, the nation had gone into captivity because she had disobeyed the law of God. And the commandment was a special sign. It was never given to the Gentiles. The Jews were rebuked for the careless way they treated the Sabbath during their wilderness wandering. You know what? I'm thankful for this time of wilderness wandering in COVID that I believe we, through International Christian Fellowship Online, those of you that are joining us, we have not treated the Sabbath unworthy. Whether we could be in the house, which we can be now, and we're thankful for it, or whether we worship together, we set ourselves apart to study the word, to worship our Lord together, to celebrate and worship. Amen? that God is faithful. We do warfare together and we do worship together. And when we do that, we are going to win in the final days. It is powerful. The Lord's day speaks of resurrection and it belongs to grace. God's people trust in Christ and the work follows. When you trust in Christ, the behavior of your lips, the behavior of your actions and your attitudes, it follows that I want to please the bridegroom. I want to make sure that I am ready to meet him today and to serve him today and to worship him today. He says, come, come, come to me. All you are, are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's not easy to live every day in the supernatural, but it is possible when the Holy Spirit of God has full access to your heart. I'll say that again. It's not easy to live in the supernatural, but it is possible when the Holy Spirit has full access to every corner of your heart and life. God's admonition to the remnant to keep justice and do righteous, we see in Isaiah 56, 1, was not obeyed. He said in 56, 1, here's what I'm telling you. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will be revealed. And blessed is the man who does this. But then we look over in 56, 9, where he says, Come and see, devour all the beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen have become blind. 
They lack knowledge. They're like mute dogs and they don't bark. They lie around and dream and love to sleep. They have big appetites and they never have enough. They're shepherds who lack understanding. Come, each one cries and let me have wine. Let's drink our beer and tomorrow will be better. This is in the Bible. How relevant is it to what we have could be guilty of saying, but God is saying then be careful. Look over in 57.1, the righteous perish. And no one ponders it in their, in their heart. Devout men are taken away and no one understands. But those, 57.2, here's the promise. That was the punishment. But here's the promise. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace and they find rest even when they lie into death. Those who walk uprightly enter in peace and they find rest even when they lie in death. So, Either way, I win. Either way, I can dwell in the supernatural. I can worship the Lord my God. Page 174, and I've got to fly. In Isaiah 56, verse 9 to chapter 59, there are accusations against the sinners. Remember, this chapter is promises and punishments. You might want to type that in the chat. Promises and punishments, because we have to remember, if we don't do right, we can perish. But if we do right, we can walk in peace. Thank you, Boriana, for posting those scriptures there. So here are some of the accusations against the sinners we see. The leaders of the nation. I think we could all attest that we have all seen leaders of all nations who did not let God's ways lead them, guide them. But I'm not the Holy Spirit and not one leader is too far gone that they can't see and come to the power and the promise of Jesus Christ. It was this godless conduct of the leaders that caused Judah to fall to Babylon. We see that in Lamentations chapter 4. The spiritual leaders are called watchmen in Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel 33. Remember, Ezekiel 33, the Lord says, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. So while we see the accusations against the sinners, we also see the heart of God in Ezekiel 33, 11, where he says, I don't take delight in the, in the death of the wicked, in the fall of the wicked, in the death of the leaders or the sinners of the nation. I want them to turn from their ways and live. But we see that we must be awake to the dangers that threaten God's people. And these spiritual leaders are to be shepherds who must put the care of the flock before their own desires. Here's a perfect example for me on Thursday. On Thursdays, there's a temptation to, it's, you know, it's almost Friday. It's almost the weekend. Oh, nobody needs this study today. And I will tell you, I have needed this study more than all of us put together, probably. I've done this study on Isaiah, not just for you, but for me. But as I said about Sunday, I recognize that as a shepherd, as those of us who are nurturing our children and our children's children, and you are nurturing, listen to me, even if you aren't married yet, you are nurturing someone else's children. Not only your own children and their children. If you're married, your child, your children. If you're not married, you are nurturing someone else's child someone else's children's children. There are seeds that you are sowing in their life by your attitude, your actions, and your words. And so we must be watchmen, care for the flock. 
God permitted the unrighteous leaders. This is what we learned from Isaiah. God permitted the unrighteous leaders. He didn't cause them to live unrighteous. But at one word, he could have wiped them out. But he permitted them to live and suffer the terrible consequences of their sin. But the righteous people died before the judgment fell. The godly found rest and peace while the ungodly went into captivity and some were killed. Rebellious people do not deserve dedicated spiritual leaders. This is what the author is saying. When his people reject his word and prefer worldly leaders, God may give them exactly what they desire and the consequences that come with it. When you think that the ungodly leader, the ungodly system, the ungodly world, the ungodly community, the ungodly company is going to be what certifies you to get to heaven, you are sadly mistaken and you are living in a natural mindset. He also talked about the idolaters. During the last days of Judah and Jerusalem, before Babylon and the land, the cities were polluted with idols. I want to ask you, we've got a few minutes. What do you think would be some idols that we may have in our own lives or unbelievers may have? What are some idols that we put in our life? I want you to type that in the chat. You might say the idol of rich the idol of richness, the idol of fame, the idol of popularity. Maybe it's the idol of job security, that the fact that I have job security is more important to me than that I have eternal security with Jesus every day. What is an idol that sometimes we put in our lives? And you can say to the, to the Lord, God, I don't want any idols in my life. I don't want to put anything before the Lord. God sees idolatry as adultery and prostitution. The people knew it was wrong, but they arrogantly practiced their sensuality. Wow. Inflaming themselves with these idols, even without shame. You'd find them everywhere. Publicly and privately, the people were devoted to immorality. Hi, Danny Paul. Is immorality an idol that we say, oh, well, that's one I'm not going to give to God. That one's one it's just privately. Nobody sees it. It's just between me and myself. No. God is calling us to purity, to holiness, to integrity, to walk in holiness. And we see from this chapter portion in Isaiah. Remember, the book of Isaiah is like the Bible. So the first 39 chapters are like the Old Testament. And the last 27 of Isaiah are like the New Testament, the promise of Messiah. But what's going to happen when Messiah comes? If you're not ready, you don't get to go when the trumpet sounds. You're going to be left in torment. And so we see that we're at chapters 57, 58, we see him talking about, here's that trumpet word again in 58, Isaiah 58, shout it aloud, don't hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and the house of Jacob their sins for day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, but they just ask me for decisions, but they haven't humbled themselves. And then he says, I'm calling you to a fast. I'm calling you to something that says, I want to set myself apart. 
Is not this the kind of fast I've chosen that looses the chains of injustice, that sets the oppressed free and breaks every yoke? And then here's that phrase again. Your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly occur and the righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and I will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Yes, Cherry, our academic and professional credentials can become our idols. And the Lord is saying, I'm calling you to this kind of fast. We're in this last passage of Isaiah. It's powerful, but it is also a promise of punishment if we let these idols become more important. If we think naturally instead of supernaturally, and God is saying, I see these things. I see the way you consort with pagan leaders. Anything, anything that we trust other than the Lord becomes our idol. Anything, even my health. If I trust that I'm only good if I'm healthy, then even my health, I could get caught up in new age healing things and um, mindless workouts. It's good to work out. I love sometimes to work out. Not always. <laughs> um, I love to walk. I love to walk. I love to swim. But I want you to know that my health is not my idol. I know that only God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit can be all that I need. Where do I instinctively turn when I face a decision or a problem? This is how you can know if you have an idol. Think about this. Where do I instinctively turn when I face a decision? It could even be a friend or a family member. Because it says, if you turn there before you turn to God first, you've made that thing an idol before God. Idols are things we put before God. We don't want to put things before God. So when the storm starts blowing, the idols, you know, they blow away. If it was a friend, maybe that friend's not in your life anymore. If it was a family member, maybe they're gone. Maybe they're not in your life anymore. But I want you to know, if we make the Lord our refuge and we dwell on the supernatural, we will be strong in any storm. Amen. And then our healing will appear and he will be our rear guard and we will call on him and he'll say, here I am. What do you need? I'm right here at the right hand of God, the father making intercession for you. On page 176, I'm going to fly through these last couple pages. We see the proud and the greedy. The proud and the greedy. The highway will be built and the obstacles removed so that the exiles can return to the land and serve the Lord. The highway is a theme that we see in Isaiah often, often. But I want you to understand if we become proud or greedy, he talks to us about those who are humble in spirit or that pride is a sin that God hates, it says in Proverbs 6. And God resists the proud, 1 Peter 5. God was enraged by Israel's greed and repeatedly chastised them for it but they would not change. How often he proved them guilty. The time had come for God to heal them, guide them, and comfort them. We also see the hypocrites in Isaiah 58 verses 1 through 14. God told Isaiah to shout aloud, shout with the voice of a trumpet, announce this is what I don't want to do. This is ungodly living and I want to live for God. I want to dwell in the supernatural power and presence and purpose of the Holy Spirit on my life. 
If I am doing what pleases me, and if doing it doesn't make me a better person, then I am wasting my time and my worship is only sin. I can't worship because somebody's watching. I have to worship because God is with me. Don't worship just because someone's watching. Worship, and that is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship because God is with you. Not because God is watching, but because God is with you. He's in you. He is around you. He is surrounding you. And he does not want you to live as a hypocrite. He wants you to live pure and holy. Worship because he's with you. True fasting leads to humility. We see that. We deprive ourselves so that God comes first and others comes first. And it delights the Lord when we delight in him. It also talks in Isaiah 59 about the unjust. There was a great deal of injustice in the land. It was a conflict between truth and lie, just as it is today. The writer of 1994 says, and I'm telling you in 2021, there is a great deal of injustice in the world. I know. And the people lift up their hands to worship God, but their hands were stained with blood. God could not answer their prayers because their sins had hid his face from them. It was a conflict between truth and lies, just as it is today. When people live on lies, they live in a twilight zone and they don't know where they're going. When trust falls, it creates a traffic jam. When trust falls, it creates a traffic jam. And so the Lord himself intervened and brought the Babylonians to destroy and to teach his people that they cannot despise his law and get away from it. The Redeemer will come to Zion. It says in Isaiah 59, 20. Isaiah 59, 20. It says the Redeemer will come to, to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. 59 verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or the mouth of your children or the mouth of their descendants from this time and this time forward. When the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we change. When the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we change. We don't make a traffic jam. Imagine all these people trying to get to heaven. I told you last week, I felt like I was directing traffic to heaven and away from hell. When we live in truthfulness, when we don't have any idols, when we don't fail to trust God, there's not a traffic jam, but we've actually opened the way as that spiritual shepherd to say, this is the way, this is the way to safety. This is the way to, to save green springs of living water. Like Mary said earlier from Psalms 23, and God will radiate from Mount Zion. The glory of the Lord is the promised kingdom. It is the theme of the closing chapters of Isaiah. I'm on page 178. Thy kingdom come is what we should pray. Perhaps we should also be interceding and intervening. We should be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And God expects us to make a difference. That I want you to see that. Um, let me see here. Look at that. You got to look at that. You got to look at that. 178. 
God expects us to make a difference. You know, we've declared a lot of things. I belong. I'm in the, I deserve it. I'm part of it. Right now, I am expected to make a difference. If not, why? Why would I? I don't have Jesus just for me, for my children and my children's children. I am here in Italy. I have the privilege and the responsibility, the great responsibility to nurture someone else's daughter, to nurture someone else's son, to nurture someone else's life. You have the responsibility where you are to make a difference, to make a difference. It's not just about me. I am expected to make a difference, an eternal difference, as I proclaim the promises of God. And I declare that if I sin, there is a punishment. But if I turn, I turn from those wicked ways and I live according to God's word, I will be that blessed generation. So I encourage you, if you have the book, as you reflect, Think about what obstacles may prevent another person from responding to God's invitation. And what is the significance of being in the house of prayer? Those are some of the questions there. And next week, we're going to talk about the kingdom and the glory. But as I read, think about reading Revelation 22 and reading Isaiah Read 21 and 22 in Revelations, and then read Isaiah 65 and 66, and then go back and read Revelation 22 again. Because I want you to know there is a promise and a punishment. There is a purpose and a, and a passion and a promise of the Prince of Peace to be in our lives. And God does not want us to be a traffic jam. He wants us to remove the obstacles. Sometimes it's simply by praying with someone. I've seen it time and time again. Someone prayed with someone and they could not believe that God answered that prayer. And they came to Jesus because they said, if your God answers that prayer, I want that God in my life. And so today, I hope you are encouraged to keep a mindset in the supernatural, to not let the idols come before God. Put them aside, repent and say, Lord, you must come first. I'm counting on you. I know that I have a, a price to pay if I don't repent of my sins. And God, every day, I don't want to live as a hypocrite. I don't want to live in lies and injustice. I want to live pure and holy before God. So today, you've got a minute. Is there something that I can be praying for you about? You can type that in the chat as well. And for those who watch later, and many, many, many do, I come back and read these chats, and I see the prayer request that you put. I see your name and I say, Lord, be with that one. I click on your name and I see where you're watching from. I say, Lord, you know her circumstance. You know his circumstance. Yes, God wants us to be humble before him, to serve him, to love him, and to be truthful and to tell the truth that there is a price to pay for sin, but there is a blessing, a healing when we walk and live in that righteous vision of God as number one. Jesus is my number one. And I'm looking for your prayer request. You can continue to pray for Pastor Rick's mom, Joan, for my stepmom, Regina, 
Uh, I have a praise report. We prayed for Brother Raf Isa last night on Wednesday prayer. I got news today that he is recovering and doing better and about to go home and be rejoined with his family. So we prayed last night for that. And I got news this morning that he is improving uh, to a great extent. So we praise God for answered prayers. I hope that you will join me on Sunday. Um, join us at 10 a.m. or 11.45 on campus. Print that confirmation of your service attendance. Please register today. So those that are preparing for the social distancing, we make sure all the seats are set appropriately. Um, thank you for doing that. Pastor Rick is going to be preaching live on campus and live on camera at 1145. Remember, we're on that time change thing. So don't let that mess you up. Our phones do it automatically. But I love you. God bless you. Thank you for joining me. This has been really a truly wonderful study. So next week, we will start on page 181. The kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, be with my brothers and sisters today. Let them know that you have a promise to be fulfilled and a purpose that's at work in their life today in Jesus' name. Thank you. Love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. See you on Sunday.